Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good afternoon. My name is Mike, and I will be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to MoGo's first quarter 2020 earnings conference call. Please note that today's call contains forward-looking statements that are based on current assumptions and subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected. The company undertakes no obligation to update these statements, except as required by law. Information about these risks and uncertainties is included in MoGo's filings for Q1, as well as its periodic filings with regulators in Canada and the United States. Also, today's discussion will include adjusted financial measures, which are non-IFRS measures. They should be considered as a supplement to and not as a substitute for IFRS financial measures. Finally, I would note that all amounts discussed today are in Canadian dollars unless otherwise indicated. With that, I'll turn the call over to David Feller. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome to MoGo's first quarter 2020 results conference call. I'm joined today by Greg Feller, our president and CFO. There's a pres- uh, presentation link available on our investor site for you to follow along. Firstly, I just wanted to thank all our team members for all their dedication and hard work during these challenging times. We've made difficult decisions and significant adjustments to our business, and I couldn't be happier with how our team has handled it. Unlike our typical earnings call, today's discussion will be more focused on the actions we've taken both financially and strategically in response to the COVID-19 pandemic and the resulting economic impact. We're happy to go into other areas during the Q&A session. In March, we took a critical look at our roadmaps and decided to quickly reprioritize and refocus our strategy for 2020. We've always taken pride in being a responsive business and this environment caused us to significantly rethink of our strategy and product roadmaps to align with the reality of fewer resources, but also to better position us to take advantage of a long-term growth opportunity given the impact that these unprecedented times will have. Our three key strategic imperatives are summarized here. One, we move forward with a leaner business model. We've made significant changes, including cutting our quarterly costs in half from Q4. Greg will walk you through this in more detail. Two, we believe financial health is more important than ever, and our new roadmap is designed to leverage our existing products and dramatically enhance our value proposition to take advantage of this new growth opportunity. And three, we are establishing a new revenue channel, capitalizing on demand we see from partners for referrals. We believe we have a big opportunity to create a meaningful new revenue channel that aligns well with our enhanced value proposition. One of the things we've been pleased with is how well our lending business has performed. We've been in online consumer lending for 17 years, and we believe it's a great business. That said, we acknowledge that this has not been the most appealing part of the MoGo story for many investors because of the credit risk and the concerns on how this part of the business would perform in a challenging market. As you will see in the data we are sharing today, this environment really highlights how our portfolio, composed of smaller dollar loans with high affordability, can perform well even in the most challenging times. If you look across the consumer lending industry, you are seeing deferrals at 20% to 50%, while we're only at about 5% today. The portfolio we have today is a high-yielding, high-margin, and drives reoccurring revenue. These loans also have a high attachment rate to our premium offering. We continue to believe our lending experience, our digital lending platform, and years of data is a key differentiator to other fintechs, 
both in terms of our value proposition and perhaps most importantly, a strong economic model, something that is lacking in many of the other fintechs. This is not an easy business to get into, and we think it will continue to be an important and valuable part of our model. Over the last few months, we have been hyper-focused on cost-cutting, including stopping originations and marketing spend, and managing our loan book. With much of that behind us, we are now turning to what we see as a tremendous growth opportunity. We believe that one of the clear outcomes of this current environment is realization of the importance of financial health, and, and it's the acceleration of this secular shift that presents a long-term growth opportunity for Mogul. Pre-COVID, there was already a financial health crisis given the majority of Canadians were in debt. But given the environment, including strong employment, many just didn't have the urgency to make it priority. Now, many are saying never again and want to make financial health a priority. As a result, digital financial health is now going to be mission critical for millions. There's no question that financial health is more relevant than ever, but perhaps even more importantly, is making it accessible to everyone. So with that in mind, we took a look at our strategy and our product roadmap and our goal is to not only make our solutions more accessible, but also have a roadmap that was simpler and easier to execute on. Democratizing financial health is not only about a digital first solution that anyone can access anywhere, but it's about making it simpler than ever to make smarter decisions. One of the other things that sometimes prevents everyone from accessing a solution is cost, and nothing makes it more affordable than free. In line with this, we are making changes to several of our products. Without question, the most important part of solving the financial health problem comes down to helping people get better control of their spending. There's a direct link to consumer debt and credit cards, and we believe consumers will increasingly be looking for simple ways to control their spending. There's also a broader trend of mindful consumerism that's rising, and people are looking for solutions that not only help them achieve their personal financial goals, but also help them make a positive impact on society and the planet. Mogul Spend was designed to not only help you be more mindful of your spending, so you can spend less, but also offset your carbon footprint. And it's the only card in Canada that does this, and importantly, with no fees. As part of our goal to create a more financially sustainable model, we also decided to eliminate cashback. This will not only enable us to continue to offer the card for free, but turn it into a product that can drive profitable revenue growth without the need to convert these members into any other products in order to be profitable. Importantly, it also is designed to work alongside your bank account. So unlike other cards that are trying to get you to move everything to them, our strategy is to sim simplify this and make this your spending account. For those with access to Visa Direct, which is currently available to, at three of the five banks, Users can, can not only transfer instantly with a few clicks, but can also set up automated deposits. We're in the process of rem removing cash back now, and we expect to have this product fully rolled out in Q3. The good news is that most of the heavy lifting and the development work on this product has already been done. We've always felt that Mogul Protect was a product that every Canadian should have. And while we, we have built a decent customer base, the majority of consumers, it's not something they feel they can afford to pay for. So we are now planning on making this product completely free and expect that this will become a material driver of new member growth and, importantly, active member growth. In Canada, the majority of these solutions typically charge between $15 and $20 a month. Mogo Protect will be the only one that's completely free. With identity fraud rates up exponentially over the last few years and recent stats showing close to 40% of Canadians have high anxiety around this, the opportunity is significant. Although we will be sacrificing some revenue from current Active Protect customers, we believe the increased revenue from loans and our new referrals will more than offset this over time. Mogul Crypto has continued to be a solid product, growth product for us, but we believe there's still a lot of opportunity here. We're eliminating trading fees and will be one of the only companies in Canada offering free funding, free withdrawals, and free trading for Bitcoin. Although not a primary focus for us, this offering is very similar to Square's Cash App in the U.S. They, like us, have a few products, including a prepaid Visa card and Bitcoin, 
and it has become an important and complementary part of their offering. We were the pioneers of free credit score in Canada, and it continues to be an important driver of member growth activity. But from a competitive perspective, we have fallen behind as there are now a few solutions that offer full credit report as well. Your credit report is what gives you the details of what drives your score, including your current loans, mortgages, and other accounts are reported to the Bureau. Our plan is to bring this into the account alongside credit score later this year. There is no incremental cost to us, as this is something we're already paying for. Full credit report has proven to be a great product for long-term retention and engagement, and fintechs like Credit Karma then monetize through referrals for other financial products. This will also become part of our monetization strategy, which I'll touch on shortly. As we get back to a focus on growth and beginning to market our new value proposition, having a low-cost channel to get the word out will be key. Our free product strategy is also designed to help drive a more scalable and cost-effective customer acquisition strategy for our loans as well. Performance marketing will be part of this, but we increasingly believe that our free value proposition will also drive a good ROI from a marketing perspective. Post Media continues to be a key strategic partner that we believe will pay dividends with our new free offering and another key strategic advantage over others. One of the most important evolutions in our strategy is the development of a new referral partner revenue model. Our previous strategy has always been to focus on a fully integrated solution, but we now feel that adding referrals makes a lot of sense. Not only is it a much faster way to bring in partners, but the costs and resources needed to implement are a fraction of a fully integrated solution. So for example, instead of bringing it into, in a savings account into the app, through a, our new referral model, we will begin by actively promoting a savings account through a selected partner where we earn a referral fee. With over a million members, we have a massively under-monetized member base, as we have been primarily focused on subprime loan conversions. Yet one of the largest segments of members we have is actually in the prime category. So again, our new strategy will be to focus not only on growing active members with a more compelling value proposition, but also on focusing expanding the ways we have to monetize with the addition of referral partners and related financial products like insurance, savings, etc. Another thing that drove this, this new direction is inbound requests for referrals. The cost to acquire customers for many financial products has recently increased, and therefore companies are looking to expand the referral channel, as that is typically a lot less than traditional advertising, including performance channels. Again, there are many examples of this model being successful in our space, Credit Karma in Canada. Revenue then becomes a formula based on active members. The more active members, the more opportunities for conversion into referrals. To be clear, this doesn't mean that we're not going to ever create another integrated product. This referral model will give us exposure and experience with more products, and we will continue to evaluate which ones make the most sense to ultimately bring into the account, but for now, this is where the focus will be. In summary, we believe the combined value proposition of this free offering, along with monetization through on-balance sheet loans, partner loans, interchange on card, and referral will become a stronger model for profitable growth. With that, I'll turn the call over to Greg. Greg? Thanks, Dave. Given a combination of the current environment as well as the sale of our liquid book in the middle of Q1 and the significant cost-cutting we've done post-quarter, I'm going to focus my comments on what's happening real-time in the current second quarter versus reviewing Q1 results. Our press release has a financial summary and we find the full statements in MD&A on CDAR. It's been a very active several months for the company as we took quick and decisive action to navigate both the near-term economic uncertainty as well as create a leaner, more efficient cost structure that better positions our business for the long term. I'm going to focus my discussion today around these financial model highlights. One, how the flexibility of our model has allowed us to quickly move from investment mode into cash flow generation mode. Two, the strong performance of our loan book. Three, how we have recently decreased our leverage and cost of capital. And four, how we are expanding the monetization opportunities of our model. 
Given our revenue scale, we've always talked about having multiple dials and levers we can use to manage our cash flow, including the amount of origination activity and the level of cash OPEX spend. Specifically, as it relates to our OPEX, these dials include adjusting the level of growth-related spend we are doing, as well as the variable spend, which includes performance-related marketing, as well as ongoing variable expense items that are driven by overall volume levels. As you heard from Dave, we did a lot of the heavy lifting on the development side over the last few years, building out our app, developing the card product and digital spending account, developing a partner lending platform, which includes the announced GoEasy partnership. This has allowed us to reduce our level of investment in this area while minimizing the direct impact to our existing products. Separately, we also felt it was important for management to participate in sharing the pain by agreeing to temporary salary reductions, which included 40% salary reduction for me and our CEO, 20% for the rest of our senior management team, and 5 to 15% for the majority of our remaining salaried employees. We are very grateful and proud of our team and the belief and commitment they have in MOGO and our mission of helping Canadians get in control of their finances. Separately, we also decided early on when COVID-19 hit to temporarily pause our loan originations, which included pausing performance spend, which generated about 30% of our overall OPEX savings. With these changes, we have reduced cash operating expenses by approximately 47% in Q2 as compared to Q4, from $10.7 million to an estimated $5.7 million for the second quarter. The most significant savings are being driven by reductions to headcount, including natural attrition, both temporary and permanent layoffs, and some of the temporary salary reductions I spoke about. To date, we have seen a reduction in headcount of over 40%, of which 40% has become permanent. We have also been able to negotiate a number of additional non-personnel-related savings from a number of our vendors. Given the economic deterioration in recent months, we continue to get questions related to our loan book. We expressed cautious optimism when we talked in March, and that has been reinforced by strong performance of our loan portfolio in Q1 in the first two months of Q2. As Dave mentioned, we've been in online consumer lending for more than 15 years and have always believed this portfolio made up of small dollar loans with low regular payments would be resilient during extremely challenging times. This has proved out so far. Specifically, we provided under 5% of our loan customers with some form of relief, including reduced interest and deferred payments with less than half, roughly 2%, currently still on relief. In April and May, we have seen a decrease in the rate of customer defaults relative to Q1 to record low default rates for these loans. We have also seen higher than normal loan repayments in the second quarter. Average monthly customer repayments on our line of credit product has increased over 30% relative to the first quarter. We think it's helpful to understand the profile of our loan portfolio, which we believe helps explain why it's been resilient. This is a highly diversified portfolio composed of small dollar lines of credit with an average balance of roughly $1,500 per loan. An average payment of $50 makes your loans high on the affordability index, which we believe is a critical factor during times of financial stress. 100% of our loans are set up for digital payments, and approximately 88% of these loans are set up with multiple payments per month that more closely coincide with our customer's pay cycle. 55% of our customers have loan protection insurance with a purchase at time loan with granted, the insurance is applicable in a number of scenarios and would cover their loan payments for up to six months uh, and potentially more. While the portfolio performance has been solid under IFRS 9, it is required that forward-looking macroeconomic in- indicators be considered in developing the provision for future losses. So as a result of the current uncertain economic environment, a loan loss provision in the first quarter was approximately $1.2 million higher than it otherwise would have been. In addition to a lower cost structure, we move forward with a substantially improved balance sheet and lower cost stable capital structure. Four recent initiatives have driven this improvement. 
This includes the sale of our liquid book to go easy, reducing our credit exposure by approximately $32 million, or about 32%. The subsequent pay payoff of one of our two credit facilities outstanding, reducing our total credit facilities outstanding to $45 million at the end of Q1, down from $77 million at year-end. This also generates roughly $900,000 per quarter in interest savings. The increase of our remaining credit facility to $60 million, which included reduced interest rate of up to 400 basis points and the extension of the maturity date to July 2022. Lastly, in May, we amended our $12.5 million convertible debentures and extended the maturity date by two years to May 22, 2022, as well as reduced the conversion price. At quarter end, we had cash and investments for an investment portfolio totaling $25.5 million. Like many businesses, we're in a period where liquidity is at a premium. With all the initiatives I've just outlined, along with the resiliency of our loan portfolio, the net effect is that we now expect a dramatic sequential increase in our cash flow. Specifically, we now expect to generate five to six million of cash flow from operations, net of investing activities, during the second quarter of 2020, a roughly nine to $10 million positive swing from the first quarter. Again, clearly demonstrating the power and flexibility of our financial model. Our expectation is that much of this operating cash flow will be directed towards reduction of the credit facility, further deleveraging our balance sheet. As Dave highlighted, we've had to take steps to manage through these uncertain times. We are not simply playing defense, however. In particular, we will continue to make investments in new products and expand our ability to monetize our large member base. This includes four specific growth drivers. One, once we see market conditions stabilize, we plan to slowly resume on balance sheet lending of our low-dollar, high-yielding loans. Access to responsible credit solutions remains one of the pillars to financial health, and we have deep capabilities and data as well as the most convenient mobile-first loan experience in Canada, and this is a highly profitable product for us. Two, we will also continue to focus on growing our partner lending revenue. Three, we plan to roll up new products like Mogo Spend in the third quarter with the value proposition adjustments we have made, including eliminating cash back. This now becomes a profitable product for us as we scale. And four, our goal is to bring in new revenue streams from referrals and products that our members are asking for, but which we don't currently offer. We expect to get a referral program off the ground in the second half of this year. In summary, it's clear that financial health is more important than ever with consumers increasingly desperate for easy and affordable mobile-first digital solutions to help them achieve their financial goals. We believe that these trends, which are only accelerating, play to Mogo's strength, including our unique platform and value proposition in the Canadian market, which we plan to take advantage of over the coming quarters. Lastly, I would like to echo Dave's earlier sentiment, a huge thank you to our team for the dedication and resilience they have shown during these challenging times. With that, we will open up the call to questions. Operator? At this time, I'd like to inform everyone, in order to ask a question, you will need to press star 1 on your telephone. To withdraw your question, press the pound or hash key. Please stand by while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Nikhil Sadani from Mackey Research Capital. Uh, great, thanks. Can you hear me okay, guys? Yep. Uh, Greg, so I wanted to go back to your comment about the uh, Q1, Q savings and the cash flow, the 9 to $10 million swing. Uh, that's pretty impressive. Could you maybe just walk us through uh, the components of that and how you get to that point? I guess $5 million is coming from the cash OPEX savings, uh, and, and, and maybe if you could just walk us through the moving parts there. 
And uh, second part of that, uh, you know, what, what part of the cash optics savings uh, might be permanent once we pass through this crisis in terms of, uh, you know, commercial real estate and things of that sort? Uh, yeah, thanks, Akil. So, um, so yeah, so the, the cash flow, uh, uh, the significant um, change in, in cash flow from cash use um, to material cash generation in the second quarter versus first quarter um, is, is really a component of a number of factors. Um, the two biggest ones are the substantial reduction in OPEX and cash OPEX. Um, the five million that we've talked about, plus uh, about one and a half, just under one and a half million of capitalized interest expense, uh, which was also cash savings over the first quarter. Um, uh, and then the other piece is effectively a combination of um, uh, pausing originations in the second quarter, um, so effectively um, uh, reducing the amount uh, of basically eliminating the cash that actually we're investing in, in growing the loan book. Um, and um, as I mentioned in my remarks, we've actually not only have we seen a decrease in default, but we've seen an acceleration, um, an increase in, uh, in, in full principal paydowns. Uh, so the combination of pausing with uh, um, continued strong performance on our existing book, uh, the, the significant cash OPEX and interest savings uh, along with principal paydowns uh, is, is driving the, uh, the big swing in overall cash flow. As it relates to ongoing um, uh, savings uh, once we're through this, um, the vast majority of these savings, um, uh, I would say, are, are within our control. Um, uh, and so, again, uh, th those are levers that we can control. Uh, the variable expenses related to marketing spend, um, which is, you know, somewhere in the, in the vicinity of, you know, one and a half million a quarter in the past, uh, that as we get, uh, um, start ramping back up, you're going to see that number, you know, go up, but we're going to be um, pretty judicious and prudent about how quickly that ramps up. Um, uh, and then, you know, we're going to continue to assess based on um, uh, the demand, um, what costs um, and, uh, and resources that we, that we, you know, believe we need to keep longer term. Uh, but again, importantly, um, those are going to be well within our control. Um, I would say the, 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 the vast majority of the savings that we're, you know, we're, we're seeing outside of the variable ones um, definitely are going to be uh, driving a, a permanent overall reduction and a, and a material overall reduction in our in our overhead. So positioning us for operating leverage going forward. We're we're not looking to get back um, to our our historical quarterly spend. We've really taken this as an opportunity to you know streamline the company, uh, focus on our core business. Um, obviously, making some decisions to really sort of push out growth investments. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and like anything, once you start, just like the consumer, they're sitting at home, you know, uh, uh, focused on their budget and finding ways to save money they didn't realize they could save before, you know, companies are do, doing the same thing and, and we're no different. Got it. And in terms of the 5% uh, uh, deferrals that you've uh, been offering your customers, 
versus uh, some of the uh, industry data of 20 to 50% that you spoke about. Um, how does that compare to uh, the default rates back in 07, 09, uh, at that point in the cycle back then? Um, you know, it, 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 to be totally honest, it's actually hard for us to compare it uh, given um, the mix of our portfolio is vastly different now. Um, um, I, I would say, uh, um, uh, look, one of the things we have said is even during those periods, our loan book remained profitable, um, uh, you know, e even doing, during historical uh, periods uh, of, you know, economic stress. Um, I mean, our general view is the economic stress and environment we're seeing today um, is unprecedented. Uh, and so, you know, we were, although we were optimistic and, and have always believed um, that we've got a, uh, a, a loan book and that the, the, the book that we're keeping on our balance sheet, low dollar amount, high affordability, uh, we've always believed in the customer base that we're serving as well, we've always believed would be resilient in a downturn. Um, you know, you know we're, we've actually seen defaults actually go to record low. We're not suggesting they'll stay at record low. Uh, um, uh, but, but the bottom line is we continue to believe that uh, the area that we are focused on on our balance sheet is a uh, very attractive risk-adjusted uh, uh, return portfolio. Um, and, and right now we think that the, you know, our, our performance is, is, is clearly highlighting that. Obviously, that's been a question for investors for a long time, what would happen to you know, our, our book um, uh, in a downturn. And, and so we think this is an opportunity uh, to prove out um, you know, what we've been saying for a while. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how should we think about the, uh, the uh, debit card cash back and the mobile protect fees on a cash basis, are those two roughly the equivalent? And maybe just help us understand uh, the thinking behind that decision a bit more. Yeah, Dave, you want to take that? Uh, sure. Maybe just to clarify the question, the thinking behind the elimination of the cash back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the you know when obviously when all obviously all this stuff happened, we we took a look at everything, and one of the primary goals too is just kind of sustainability and profitable growth. Uh, we always knew that offering cash back on the card was aggressive, although um, essentially it was the interchange that we're offering. You know, the, ultimately the profitability model there would depend on how many of those uh, card users you manage to really kind of convert over into other products including loans and referrals. Uh, by eliminating the cash back, we think that not only do we still have a significant compelling value proposition, um, but it obviously makes that card product um, uh, a sustainable product on its own. That is a product that as it scales, it should drive you know, meaningful, profitable contribution margin. Whether or not those customers um, you know, convert into anything else, so it's just a more profitable model, um, but at the same time feeling like the focus on controlling your spending, um, keeping it free the carbon offset, along with the rest of our combined value proposition, you then add in free protect, free credit score with full, full credit report, free Bitcoin, um, all of these as part of that kind of you know, holistic um, value proposition we think is, is still obviously very differentiated, very compelling in, in the market, um, and quite frankly, uh, a lot more profitable than if we were going to offer the, the cash back. So 
that's that's why we decided to move to the eliminating the cashback. And at the same time, um, when we took a look at Mogul Protect, uh, we just we just believed that you know this is a, a product that, quite frankly, we could see you know 10 times, 20 times what we're what we're currently seeing if this is a free product and not something that anybody once they signed up for many would would you know basically churn once you have it you probably want to keep it there's no reason you wouldn't have it obviously it gives you reason to download the app become an engaged app member it would be the only product like this in Canada and um, and again gives us you know a lot of opportunity to then kind of monetize those members as they're coming in for the free product with with essentially a low customer acquisition cost monetize them into whether it's the referral, whether it's card, whether it's loan. Um, so it all kind of ties together. That referral model is going to be an important part, as I said. Up until now, we've been primarily focused on really trying to convert people into subprime loans, even though you know, a, a large segment of our member base is actually prime consumers. So those prime consumers we really weren't trying to, to monetize, and now we're going to be able to monetize both in these referral programs as well as you know, things like mogul spend itself. The, the, the other thing I would just add to that is that, you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, everybody that uses our card um, loves the, uh, um, the value and the ability to control their spending, and they, they start to see the value of that, um, and it, but it does require you actually starting to use it. Um, sort of pre-COVID when, you know, as we say, the majority of consumers were more focused on accumulating AeroPlan miles on the credit card, um, you needed, we felt we needed to offer more incentives to get consumers over to try it like cash back. You know, we think the, the mindset um, uh, is, is clearly shifting in a post-COVID world where everybody is increasingly focused on their spend, their budget, and their finances in order um, every consumer out there who's seen the credit card bill drop, drop dramatically during this period, and the vast majority of them are saying, you know, um, uh, as things open back up, I don't want my spend to go back to the level it was at. Uh, and by the way, I need to, I, I need to, you know, spend less, save more. Um, so we think, you know, consumers are are really sort of desperate for a solution like this. So part of that change is also just recognizing that I think, you know, consumers are probably more open and ready for that solution today than they, than they were before. Got it. And just one last one before I pass the line in terms of the uh, referral model uh, with some new products, did you say the timeline to launch that was uh, sometime in Q3? Thanks guys. Yeah, we, uh, we're, we're, yeah, we're saying that uh, we expect to um, uh, get that model going in the second half of the year. And your next question comes from Suthan Sukumar from 8 Capital. Good afternoon, guys. Hey, Suthan. Um, hey, guys. So my, my first question here is on, um, obviously, the, the, uh, the evident, um, the resiliency in your loan base, that's, that's clearly evident here. Um, in the press release, you guys noted two percent um, of your of your of your customers have only only two percent have required some sort of intervention. Um, that's down from the five percent you guys talked about in in your uh, in your COVID update. Can you kind of speak to some of the factors behind that improvement that you're seeing now? Um. Yeah. So so the five percent is really a cumulative, um, and, and so the you know, the majority of, um, 
um, relief measures that we're giving, uh, you know, uh, um, were temporary. So a lot of those temporary ones have rolled off, um, and um, you know, and, and the customers, you know, back uh, um, on a regular payment schedule. So, um, uh, you know, I think some of the dynamics to you know to think about. I mean, you, I think what happened was when this when when it initially hit and people were panicked, a lot of people you know, started requesting relief before they actually necessarily knew if they needed it. Um, and um, uh, and so, um, so that's why I think you sort of saw a spike earlier. Um, okay. And then um, uh, A is people, you know, get a handle on kind of what their status is. Do they need it? Do they not need it? Uh, and B, as, as, you know, some uh, a lot of people sort of roll off the relief that that number naturally comes down unless there's other reasons, you know, new reasons to, uh, you know, for that number to to increase again. Obviously, government um, um, uh, programs out there have, you know, helped the, the consumer a lot. You know, our average uh, consumer is, you know, making uh, about $50,000 a year. Um, and you know that that's really that that everyday Canadian that um, a lot of the um, government support um, um, areas are, are focused on. Um, so you know we think that's that's also you know helping our our overall performance as well. If you're look if you're making two hundred thousand dollars a year and and you lost your job, um, your uh, even the even all the government support um, that's out there. Uh, isn't going to make a, a, a material dent in your sort of employed income cash flow, uh, and so you know you wind up having much bigger challenges to man to manage your commitments in that kind of scenario. Right. Okay. Great. No thanks. That makes sense. Um, my second question is on is on crypto. You, you guys touched on some um, some commentary around the crypto segment in your opening remarks. It sounds like you're seeing some higher engagement um, on your platform as, as a result of the offering. Can, can you kind of touch on uh, some of the trends that you're seeing with respect to new user acquisition uh, kind of post the quarter um, from crypto and, and what does conversion kind of look like in, for these users into your other offerings? Sure, it's, uh, it's Dave. Um, I would say on the crypto side, you know, quite frankly, in the last, um, say, you know, two months, uh, we really haven't at all focused on crypto at all, quite frankly. I mean, from a marketing perspective and customer acquisition, um, we've just had our kind of known offering out there in the marketplace. Uh, and quite right now, for example, we're through posts, we're marketing essentially mostly credit score. We actually have not gone out there and really marketed anything around Bitcoin. Um, it's, it's something that most people are just finding out, I'd say, through kind of word of mouth. And, um, you know, we typically are seeing um, a, a continued increase in the percent of new members that are signing up that are activating their, the Bitcoin account and buying Bitcoin. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned, uh, similar to, I think, the Square Cash app in the U.S., definitely this is not a main focus of ours. We're not obviously a, an exchange. Um, we're only offering uh, Bitcoin, but we definitely believe that, you know, it, there's, there is a correlation between a member that activates Bitcoin and then the level of activity of that member. Uh, many of our members that are buying Bitcoin, it's their first time, so these they haven't necessarily ever ever purchased Bitcoin or owned it before. Uh, and so, kind of the decision to move to take away the the fees 
um, it already wasn't that meaningful of, a, of an impact, but ultimately we increasingly are focused on what are those things that really can help drive that kind of viral word of mouth. Um, NPS score, net promoter score is something that we're really focused on as well. And, um, and we do believe that there's a correlation between somebody who signs up for a mogul account, activates uh, crypto, gets Bitcoin, um, that actually impacts our overall experience with Mogul, even though they didn't necessarily sign up just, just for Bitcoin. Uh, so we're really mm -hmm. kind of, I'd say, leveraging it for, in that way, and, and our hope is that we're going to uh, move forward with this in, in Q3. some point in Q3, those fees will be taken away, and then that value proposition will be enhanced and, um, again, continue to leverage it for, you know, mostly for engagement from our member base and hopefully viral kind of word of mouth, but not necessarily a product that we're actually going to go out there and spend money on marketing. Okay, thanks. No, that's helpful. Um, and the last one for me, guys, is on the referral model. Now, is, is the plan here to be working with, um, with maybe select strategic partners out of the gate, or is the vision here to really build some sort of broader marketplace type model? And, um, and and the follow-up that I was, is, you know, how do you how do you anticipate the the monetization of work? Will these be, these transactions be done on a revenue share basis? Is there an affiliate model or some combination of all of the above? Yeah, I mean, I'd say uh, the model that we're looking at initially is is again um, we're being strategic in terms of the the partners that we're looking at. Uh, as I mentioned, what we've seen is. You know, A, we've always had inbounds, but we're seeing increasing inbounds from companies saying, hey, we would love to be able to get referrals from you guys. One of the things I think increasingly companies are realizing is, for example, if you're a secured lender and you're looking to offer, say, a secured loan for those people that own a home so, and looking to buy, you know, basically do debt consolidation, they have some equity in their home, they don't necessarily qualify for a traditional line of credit, maybe they have a challenged credit score, um, there's companies like that are obviously uh, around. Uh, they go out there and they're doing direct-to-consumer marketing, TV, et cetera, and increasingly it's expensive to acquire those customers given that these customers are already customers somewhere else, including Mogo. So, um, and obviously for most, most consumers, they really don't want to go somewhere else to open a new account. They're really looking for something that is already kind of related to where they are. That really is, I would say, the credit karma model, right? That referral model mm -hmm. that we talked about. Um, but what we're doing is we're essentially looking at our member base, really analyzing our member base, and what do we think those most relevant products based on that member base is that we initially want to start with. Um, so, for example, there can be obviously a high interest rate savings account. That would be a product that we've never monetized anything related to that before. Secured loans, as I, as I mentioned, insurance. Um, but we're really kind of spending some time right now kind of really analyzing where do we think we have the best opportunity based on our member base, based on the level of engagement from those members. Uh, and then we're, we're already having a whole bunch of partner discussions. Most of these are typically a referral as in you sign up and you might get anywhere from, you know, 50 to a couple hundred dollars for uh, an application. Um, but some might actually be for you essentially do it if, if they convert and then you get a, a bigger fee. Um, you know, so no decisions have been made on there, but we're kind of exploring all those different uh, scenarios. And then essentially we'll have a, an internal team that is essentially just focused on, you know, mining our, our member database and continuing to look for those opportunities to make sure that we're bringing the right products to the right people so it's relevant. Obviously, you don't want to be marketing a product to a member that, you know, clearly isn't a relevant solution for them. 
but uh, we expect that um, you know as early as Q3 we'll begin to start doing some re referral partnerships. Okay, okay great. Uh, thank you for the color. I'll pass the line, guys. And as a reminder, to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. There are no further questions at this time. I will turn the call back over to the presenters. Okay. Well, thanks again for everybody for your for time today. We appreciate the support. Uh, we look forward to updating you after our next uh, quarterly earnings call. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes today's conference call. Thank you for participating. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.